Lily, can we talk about how useful we have found the Media Moves newsletter from Cision? Yeah, I didn't know about this before and now I've signed up. It is so useful. You get a list on there every week of all the different people moving around different publications. And basically you've got a ready-made list of commissioning editors with their contact details, which you can then use when you want to pitch. It's so helpful. Yeah, and on top of that, as a freelancer, you can actually list yourself as looking for work and your details so people know all about you and where to find you. Yeah, it's so useful. I'd really recommend people go and have a look at scission.co.uk, click on journalist services and then have a look out for media moves and you can sign up for the newsletter there. and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Lily Cantor and I'm Emma Wilkinson. We're both experienced freelance journalists and in each episode with the help of two fabulous guests we give practical tips on key issues you face when working for yourself. Yes and today's episode is all about trust. We will be talking about why it's important and what you can do as a journalist to gain trust. But before we introduce our guests, let's talk about our highlight of the week. Lily, what's yours? Yeah, I had to have a good think about this one. Um, I think mine is um, it's a pattern that I've, I've noticed that um, I think about 70% of the publications I work for now are either paying me before publication or very, very soon after publication. Um, and I've not been in that position like ever Um, so I think I've just finally kind of found the right people to work for or I've been in their system for so long that they can just pay me really quickly Um, so that was a really nice little observation that I I found so I thought I'd pick that one. Oh it's so good when that happens and actually it's really nice to celebrate when it does happen and you do get paid promptly maybe you've just trained them well got to the (laughs) state now where they're like we're not going to cross Lily we better get this invoice paid um Mine is actually on a really similar theme, but this hardly ever happens, so I need to shout about it. I was paid for some work two days after I submitted the invoice, and for a big company as well, not just kind of a small. um, So yeah, I've been doing more and more work for this publication, and the turnaround on payment seems to speed up every single time, and this is why I will never say no to them. Whenever they come to me about anything, yes, immediately, straight away, because that money will go straight in my bank. So listen up, publications. This is how you get your freelancers on side. Okay, so it's time to introduce this week's guests. We have with us Steve Novotny, who previously worked as a journalist and editor at Pulse and money-saving expert and is now editor at Full Fact. And we also have Jennifer Sisland, a UK-based freelance journalist writing about global issues, wildlife and the environment for BBC, Independent, Metro and others. Jennifer has also written about how journalists can build trust with their sources. So, I mean, where to start with this? Um, In the past few years, we've gone through so many sort of world altering events. If you think about it, we've had Brexit, Trump, pandemic, pandemic, 
um, now Ukraine. Um, so this has been a really intense period of misinformation and propaganda. So it's really important, isn't it, that people have trusted sources of news and can trust journalists doing that work. A huge topic. But Steve, if we can come to you first, kind of let's start with, you know, how important is it for people to be able to trust their news sources? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a really good question. I think um, it's always been important. It's kind of, I guess it's the fundamentals of what we do as, as journalists, isn't it, is that we kind of take it take it for granted that the value is we're giving people information which they can trust and and believe in. Um, you kind of mentioned some of those kind of events recently. We, we certainly kind of live in interesting times and that I think has a knock on impact in terms of, you know, journalism and trust in journalism. Um, I think what, what I would say is, is what's interesting is we've seen possibly people who are not news junkies, people who are less, less sort of routinely interested in the news have had to start paying attention um, in recent, in, in recent years, because this, this stuff really affects them. So even if you don't follow the ins and outs of Brexit, you know, you may need to make a decision what you do with the coronavirus lockdown. You may need to make a personal decision about whether you get vaccinated. So um, it, it, the news has become ever more important to people because of the kind of the, the range of events that we're seeing. And, and that therefore means, you know, access to reliable news is, is more important. Um, but I think also people in that kind of situation are possibly less, less well equipped to deal with the different kinds of news sources. They may be less well equipped to look out for what might count as misinformation and so on. So there's kind of a double whammy effect in a way that it's never been more important to, to have access to reliable news, but also some people may be less well equipped. Um, and I think the, the news environment is changing as well. So, you know, even in the last few years and certainly, you know, for the big the last decade or so, there's been a proliferation of news sources. Uh, people are getting their information from lots of different places. Uh, you know, we're talking about the war in Ukraine, for instance, TikTok is, is this channel which a lot of people are getting information from, and they may not be consuming news from sort of, you know, more, more traditional sources. Uh, so you have this kind of proliferation of sources, you have um, influencers, say, who may have huge online reach, and, they, you know, they may be giving their opinion on newsy topics, but without the usual kind of editorial safeguards. Um, and these are difficult topics as well. So, you know, if you look at some of the stuff we fact-checked around coronavirus, this is really difficult medical scientific arguments to get your heads around. This is not a kind of straightforward thing. So there's lots of stuff going on. Um, there's a real need for people to have access to this reliable information. Um, and at the same time, the kind of news environment is probably changing to make that harder. So yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge, but you know, that's, um, that's one that you know, people are aware of now, I think, and need to really address. Yes, and I think we touched on social media in your answer there in terms of kind of sources of, uh, of news. And Jennifer, you wrote about how social media sort of encourages polarisation and tribalism as well as this kind of spread of false information and, and clickbait. Um, and on the back of all that, you can kind of see that decline in trust in journalism and, um, you know, the people using kind of mainstream media as an argument why you shouldn't be listening to that uh you know I've I mean the amount of times recently I've been called a government mouthpiece for just writing stories on coronavirus that never used to happen um is it harder for freelancers who don't necessarily have the credentials that come with a staff role so that email address id etc to gain the trust of sources of, of those that they're interviewing 
what what can kind of things could they do to over overcome that do you think Jennifer yeah it definitely it can be a problem but there are quite a few different ways you can sort of um address it so I suppose one way I've been lucky but also probably a bit of advice I would give is if you can work for an organization for a period of time you know it doesn't have to be some sort of high up sort of glamorous role you know if you can work for an organization and get those sort of connections and have that experience you can put it on like your LinkedIn profile for example and also you can get recommendations from people at that organization so for example I worked at the BBC for nine years and in all different roles but obviously I'm connected to all those people like people know that I am who I say I am because of my time at that organization um, and that doesn't have to be somewhere as big as the BBC. It can be sort of anywhere as long as people have heard of it and they know that it's like a half decent organisation. So I'd sort of recommend trying to cut your teeth somewhere if possible. Um, but even if you're a freelancer, you can still ask for recommendations and have them on sort of LinkedIn and use that as part of your sort of shop window as well as obviously having your... Um, online profile because I mean I've never been I wasn't staff at the BBC I've never been staff anywhere so I have technically been freelance my entire career so it's definitely possible to do um so obviously you can send your profile and that's really important um but I would say it's more important if it's your first assignment for an organization for example because people will google that that publication and your name so sometimes if you haven't worked for them before just send your profile to the person just say oh it, so I haven't worked for them before but I have done similar stories here um, and then also my last piece of advice is just claim your muckrack because if you have um sort of written anything anywhere it, it will come up on your muckrack muck even and um, you can put it on there and then also if you're looking for sources um for example like experts kind of I guess more than sources and you do have like a profile like on quoted or something they will verify you as well so there's kind of several ways you can prove that you are who you say you are and all these will come up on like maybe the first page of your results or whatever on google so people know that you are legit basically yeah it comes back to branding doesn't it because I'd um having a really common name had spent a lot of time making sure that all my profiles like Twitter LinkedIn my personal website everything said the same thing and called myself the same thing so it's they're kind of linked together and then that comes up when people look for you um, and I also found as well when I started putting a uh, email signature on the bottom of every email with who I'd worked for and links to various places so that it immediately gives you that presence of professionalism and this is someone who knows what they're doing and has had as has had worked as had work um published there so it's kind of providing people with the evidence that you are who you say you are yeah definitely and it's something we we talk about a lot is the importance of branding um as a freelance um, Steve, I just wanted to kind of bring you back in here because Full Facts, an independent fact-checking check organisation, um, but obviously when you're a journalist and you're kind of caught up in a story, sometimes it can be hard perhaps to take a step back or to have the time to double-check what you're being told is accurate, particularly in a world of sort of press releases which may have, dare we say, some dubious um, information or, or stats in there or data that you haven't actually seen. 
Um, so what would your kind of tips be for a freelance journalist um, about doing that due diligence and, and checking their facts? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. It's one that obviously I think we have a lot of sympathy with. You know, we, we fact check journalists, we fact check the media all the time. Um, but we try and do so, you know, from a point of understanding of the pressures that journalists are under and that kind of thing. This is, you know, it's not about catching people out. It's about, you know, wanting to make sure the correct information is out there. Um, I think, you know, certainly when I've worked as a journalist elsewhere, you, I think every journalist knows the feeling of a story which is almost too good to check. It's this really you know, great story. You want to get it out there. You almost don't want to do that due diligence. But obviously, no story is, is too good to check and you have to do that, that checking. Um, from a kind of emotional point of view as well, I guess I, I like to always channel the most kind of old school, hard nosed news editor I've ever worked with and kind of imagine they're sitting over, over your shoulder asking all the difficult questions and, you know, having that kind of challenge, challenge, you know, even as you're working on something, I think is kind of really helpful. Um, from a practical point of view, I mean, you know, there's a lot which is very obvious, but just a kind of checklist, I guess, of things that, that we would kind of look out for when we're checking a story. Always, you mentioned the example of the press release, always check the original data if you can, you know, don't rely on someone else's summation of the data. Always check the source, and if it's not the source you're not familiar with, do a bit of reading around that, you know, who is this, what, how they funded, what's the, the motivation behind the releasing this information. Um, reading around the topic, you know, including on social, sounds a really obvious thing to do, but actually, particularly a full fact where we're checking things we may not be familiar with we may not have written before just doing spending five ten minutes kind of reading what other people have written what other people have said and when they've said it can be really helpful um and then when you're writing the story always proper right of reply giving them the full story make sure they've had their best chance to knock it down and then you know that it really kind of stands up um and just to kind of highlight some of the common pitfalls that we look at, there's, there's, there's lots of them, but just a few as a kind of selection, and you might want to do your own checklist. And correlation, not causation, when we're doing scientific papers, just comes up all the time. You know, is, 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 it, is it really uh, causation? Is it, is it just happen to be correlation? Uh, if you're looking at prices, you know, what is it in real terms? Have you factored in inflation? Just comes up all the time again. If you're doing anything policy-wise, is it UK-wide? You know, have you made an assumption about the fact that something that applies in England might apply elsewhere? I'm sure every journalist listening to this could come up with, with 10 or 15 of their own. But just having that kind of internal checklist, I think, really helps. And it's surprising the number of times that will you'll come up against something and think, ah, yeah, I should have known that. But, you know, at least I've, I've checked it before publishing. Yeah, I mean, I can think of so, so many examples where... Um, you're kind of under pressure to do something. There might be a story already out there uh, in the media, whoever you're working for. And it's so easy to kind of just assume that, well, everybody's reporting it, so it must be true. And then as soon as you look at the full report, or I, I had one last year, I think, of a, a council that was doing something different on COVID rules and everybody was reporting it. You couldn't get in touch with this council. And I was like, I'm just not sure because we haven't heard it directly from them. and uh, we'd kind of caveated it within the that we had you know we hadn't been able to get in touch with them and the next day it turned out all to be wrong and the council put out a, a statement so just to remember I suppose all those times when you came close to, to reporting the wrong thing and just remembering how easily how easily that can happen I suppose uh, would be my advice to add on there um Jennifer, I mean, a great deal of what we do as freelance journalists is telling other people's stories. But in order to do that, they, we need to get them to 
trust us and this is a topic that you uh you know wrote some ad advice about if someone is not sure about speaking to you might be nervous about speaking to the press in general might not be a personal thing um how what kind of things can you do to work to build that trust with them to um kind of make them help them to feel comfortable in telling their story to you I think um, building a relationship is important and obviously by saying that I don't mean you have to be best friends or over familiar or anything like that I mean I suppose I don't know if this is a great example but I sort of liken it to sort of the relationship you have with your GP sort of thing like a nice sort of professional kind of symbiotic kind of relationship um and I think it doesn't, if it's an important story, you know, it doesn't have to be that it goes out that very day. You know, you can take time to speak to people. And I think one thing that's important is sort of addressing their concerns. And I think especially nowadays, because a lot of the things that are going on in the world are sort of ongoing and keep on going and keep on going, as we know. So, you know, it's there's a lot to be said for sort of slow journalism and sort of taking things sort of one day at a time sort of thing because we're asking them questions so just give them the opportunity to ask you questions ask about the publication um and you can obviously show them things that you've written before that you think are similar um explain sort of the angle to them and sort of what it's about and why you're telling the story um and also i think if people sort of have a few conversations with you as well they know that you're just a human being you're not there to sort of set them up and it sort of kind of dissolves those worries in a way because they can just see that you're normal and it's not you're not an organization you're a person and they can trust you basically um so yeah I think there's just a lot to be said for just taking a, a soft approach sometimes because I think there's all these misconceptions about journalists, but actually we all know loads of journalists and not all journalists are like these people on television that sort of say all these things. So it's just about breaking that down, basically. Yeah, I think that's really good advice about um, kind of answering their questions and concerns. So I would always start sort of an email approach to someone or a phone call, um, any kind of interview with like this is what I'm doing is it a new story is it a feature who am I writing for how many people am I speaking to kind of you're not going to be the only one in this piece maybe um kind of other bits and bobs and it's so um telling how immediately they just relax as soon as you offer up all that information so they're they're very uh sort of clear um about what it's about um, another thing that we sometimes get asked is about copy approval. So I often find that sometimes if I'm speaking to someone for the first time, and I don't know if you found this, Jennifer, that they might say, oh, can I see my quotes or can I see what you're going to write? And you can kind of make a case by case judgment of maybe sending them their copy or the, you know, the quotes that you're going to use for them. Then next time, if you end up speaking to them, if it's an expert or something, they won't ask because you've gone through that process now and they trust you to, to, get, it, to get it right. Do you sort of do a case by case let's just work with this individual and see what they need yeah definitely because ultimately um if they have because you can even break down an article and just be like look this is what I'm going to get my expert to speak on you know because 
to be honest, I, I think, can't think of ever a time, unless it's an opinion piece, I can't think of ever a time I, I wouldn't have at least two or three experts in an article ever. Um, so you can sort of explain who that is as well and say, look, this is my facts. I'm going on these are my statistics. You're going to comment on this element of it. And then maybe you have someone else comment on another element of it. And I think if you sort of break it down like that, that sometimes makes them think, oh, well, actually, I'm not too concerned about copy approval because I can understand exactly how this is going to be. And it doesn't, they don't necessarily need the word for word. But I mean, obviously, if it's kind of necessary, you can, as you say, just show the quotes. But that's kind of how I do it. Because it's not a secret process, is it? It's, you know. And they're going to read it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that, that like you say, that factor of kind of coming across as human. And to be honest, I find that like 99% of people are really trusting. You say you're a journalist and they believe you. Um, and I think that, I guess, comes across, you know, in the way that you're confident and, um, you know, you, you are doing a particular story you've got knowledge about that story and just how you how you come across um I guess it depends on the topic like some people might be slightly more sensitive around um some topics but I guess that kind of leads on to the next thing um about you know obviously we are human and we and we do make mistakes as well um and perhaps as journalists we're not very good at admitting that and we can tend to be defensive um so Steve, just to bring you back in on this, I, I wonder, do we perhaps as journalists need to be more reflective um, on what we can do better and, and kind of, you know, holding our hands up when things do go wrong? It, it's difficult because I think it's very hard to kind of generalise. You have journalists handle mistakes and, and errors and criticism in really very different ways. Um, I think, you know, when you've written something as a journalist, it, the temptation probably is to double down and defend what you've written. You know, that's the natural kind of instinct. Um, and I think the complicating factor probably is that there's more feedback coming at journalists than ever before. So, you know, it, it's often, you know, you can't afford not to engage in, in social media. And, you know, it's not just a case of ignoring what's written below the line. It's a case of, of you know, feedback in every, in every form. Um, so you've got all this feedback coming at you a lot of it may be unfair there may be unfair criticism you know there may be, be things like that but also i think it's really important that you do kind of listen to it all and you're engaging it and you can spot you know the justified criticism so um this is a bit of an adjustment for me coming to full fact because working for money saving expert you know money saving expert is one of the uk's most trusted brands it has Brilliant user feedback. Everyone loves Martin Lewis. It's generally a very positive experience writing. Writing there, everyone likes saving money. Uh, full fact, obviously, you know, covers much more contentious political issues. We have, you know, uh, people who opposed to vaccination, for instance, who are very hostile to a lot of what we write. So we we have to deal much more with that kind of negative feedback as well. Um, and I think, yeah, for us, it's really important that it's listened to. It's, sometimes it's maybe best not to always engage with it. Um, but if there is a valid point, if there is, you know, if you have made a mistake, then it's really important, I think, that you can kind of hold your hands up to that. And also that there is acceptance from people that journalists will make mistakes. Um, you know, it happens. Full fat makes mistakes. You know, we, we, we obviously 
get held to a very high standard because we're correcting other people's mistakes, but we, we have to publish corrections. Uh, when we do, we try and do so in as transparent a way as possible. Um, we obviously put a note on the articles which we're changing. We will put out the old social post and say this was inaccurate and this is what it should have said. So we try and be really upfront about that. Um, and in an ideal world, I think, you know, that's what all journalists would work towards. But it is it is a difficult situation and it is complicated, as I say, by the kind of the the noise that a lot of journalists face, which may be unjustified criticism. Uh, and that can be very hard to deal with for people, I think. Yeah, it's quite hard to navigate that, isn't it? When you're just being sort of bombarded with um, just kind of broad brush criticisms about journalism as a whole, rather than anything specific about your article. I always enjoyed it when I was at the BBC that if um, somebody complained about an article I'd written, but they'd sworn or called me a name, I didn't have to answer. So I was like, right, okay, that's fine. I don't, I don't have to engage with this now. I can just <laughs> move on to whatever I was, I was doing. Um, Jennifer, I wondered what you think about as freelancers, we can pick and choose the publications that we do work for to a certain extent. Do we need, is part of this trust us thinking about the type of articles that we write, the kind of publications that we um, work for? If we're kind of doing very clickbaity articles, are we perpetuating the problem? I mean, sometimes a dodgy headline can be put on our work and that's not anything to do with us it wasn't you know the work underneath it is good I mean I yeah I guess wouldn't be interested to get your view on how much we should maybe fight that back against that or have some kind of line in the sand about what type of work we should be doing yeah I think um, the dodgy headlines are funny one because this actually happened to me personally um for my own writing thankfully although you'd much rather it was your own writing than about a contributor basically um where I did an opinion piece and then they changed my headline and didn't tell me um so because this happened to me as well I would definitely say um let them know if the headline is going to be changed to something else because sometimes it's not necessarily that that's a terrible terrible headline but they just need to know so like a good example of this that didn't happen to me it happened to a colleague was she was making a documentary and she pitched it as the jigsaw men um, which you wouldn't have now but and it was about um people that went to the scenes of car crashes essentially um and it was all about piecing things together so that's what she called it to be sensitive but then the channel changed it to crash detectives so it was obviously much more sensationalist so she phoned them up and told them and just let them know that this is what it's going to be called basically and actually they were fine about that so I think you can obviously tell them so unless it's something really terrible I would say you don't necessarily need to push up, push back and I think that unless um, it's a big problem in there they've really got an issue with it which I've never found that they have um, but I do think in terms of the clickbait publications, I mean, obviously you've got to make a living, but what I would say is if you're doing, I don't know, more like lifestyle journalism for a tabloid, for example, then keep that separate from the things you're doing with vulnerable journalists, vulnerable journalists, vulnerable contributors, and just don't pitch those articles to those publications, basically, because obviously, we can't all necessarily choose um, 
where we I mean I do personally try and avoid clickbait publications if I can but if there's something you need to get out there or whatever so that would be kind of my advice is if you especially if you work for a publication before and you know that trustworthy then you can take those stories to the more trustworthy publications and then if you just do more sort of you run of the mill writing then you can work for more clickbaity ones if you wish basically yeah and I guess it's judging it on a case-by-case basis isn't it and not kind of you know backing yourself into a corner I think that's what we always say is it just depends it's not about having a blanket I'm not working for that publication um, because it all depends on the story and the, the circumstances and relationship you have with them. I think headlines is an interesting one because I normally, you know, I, I won't know what the headline is going to be. I don't see it. So I I find out alongside the source. So, you know, that that can be difficult. I guess with online, it's easier because headlines can be changed. Um, but yeah it's it is difficult that as a freelance and I I think we sort of covered this actually in the previous series when we were talking about moral dilemmas in that it's all about being upfront with your sources so letting them know that you know you literally are you know just filing the copy you don't know what the headline's going to be you don't know when it's going to be published you don't know how the final piece is going to look letting them know that there are processes kind of beyond what you do um and keeping keeping them as informed um as possible um i suppose is is all that you can all that you can really do um and i i guess kind of on the flip side of that in terms of like the way in which we use our sources steve i wondered if you've got kind of tips on what you know as freelance journalists we can do to actually kind of verify the information that our sources are giving us because you know an expert may tell you something that sounds very feasible but you know how do you know that that's true and how do you go and check that and do you have to check sort of every single statement that they give you where where do you draw the line with that I think it depends on what you're what you're writing and who you're writing it for and the kind of the context the context of it um you know there's obviously a kind of a sliding scale i guess in terms of the amount of checking that you do you know if you've spoken to that expert many times before and all the rest of it there's kind of different kind of levels of of i guess paranoia as a journalist of what you would want to check um i guess our starting point would always be check whatever you can um and to do so you know through the usual range of sources really so whether that's you know if there's a what we look for in fact checking is what we call a claim um you know so a specific factual claim about something uh, so if you're going through your piece you know then i guess that's what you're looking out for when i was at money saving expert we used to um fact check our weekly email and we had our chief analyst who would do that and she would literally print it off and put a series of little ticks and probably like 200 ticks on the sheet of a4 and every single bit of a sentence which could constitute a claim she would you know run down and and check in some way that's obviously like the extreme end that's not practical in every case and that's not sensible in every case either I suppose but um it's about having having a bit of caution um knowing you know where you think you might need to check something and then using external sources whether it's a written source you can link to whether you might sometimes need to run it by another expert I guess to get their take on it as well um and then the other the other obvious thing which I would say is just you know um record keeping is really important at full fact when we do a fact check we 
we have like a, a, a shared drive folder where we save copies of everything, screen grabs of everything, because nothing on the internet stays as it was kind of thing. Um, again, you can take that to extremes, but the more you can do that, the more you have that kind of peace of mind, I guess. So if, I, if I'm going back to a fact check we published six months ago and someone's told us it was inaccurate in some way, I know that there will be a sort of package of screen grabs or whatever sitting there, which will, as best as it can, back up the information that we've published. Yeah, I really liked your advice there about um, checking with more than one expert. Um, I mean, I think we've learned in coronavirus that uh, science, for example, as a good example, is not an absolute and people can have different interpretations and different um, put different emphasis on different aspects of, you know, how, you know, how important something is, how useful a finding is. And actually just sometimes going, I've run it past an expert, I've run it past one kind of doctor is not actually enough. <laughs> you need to kind of get a, get a range of, uh, a range of views there. Um, I mean, one thing that coming back to you, Jennifer, on a bit again on the branding aspect of it, um, something that we get asked about a lot because of our Twitter verification campaign for freelancers is does Twitter verification give you does it make you seem more trustworthy does it tell your sources and people that you know you're you're a real person and you are to be trusted because it that's not what it's designed to do it's it, you know it's about this is a notable person or whatever their definition of it is but do you think that people do see that as a sign of trustworthiness i think they do sort of to a degree um I'm going to say it's not the be on end all because I can't get verified uh, as a freelance journalist. Um, but I think another thing to remember is that because we're journalists, we're so Twitter centric, but the world is not as Twitter centric um, as we are. And we sort of think, oh, because somebody's said something on Twitter that everybody knows about it, it's just sort of not the case. Um, so, so I would say don't worry about it but also if you're sort of verified on those other things that I've spoken about like if you've got like a muck rack if you've got a portfolio on your own sort of page and I would just sign up to sort of those expert databases not necessarily because you need an expert every week but just so you're verified and, and you're sort of on there so you know like quoted or media matchmaker or whoever they are um just so because they will always verify you to have an account and that that will help people and also it'll come up on your listings and stuff like that so um as long as you've got you know also you can put those in your twitter bio as well so that also shows just retweet your articles <laughs> to show that you do write articles and you're not just some weirdo on the internet as well yeah i agree i think it's all about kind of just presenting a consistent professional presence uh, wherever you are I had two journalists get in touch with me last week freelance journalists asking if I have any had any advice on how to get verified absolutely no clue (laughs) yeah try and keep trying just keep keep doing it because I still don't know why I suddenly went from four rejections to oh here have a blue tick out of nowhere you didn't even reply did you no I think I just annoyed them um into doing it but yeah I, I don't think it's made any 
difference to my interaction with people that I'm interviewing or sources that I'm contacting so just to have that reassurance that there's other ways that you can make uh yourself um sort of look professional and that you are a real person that that exists um Steve one question that I wanted to ask you is I wondered if you felt that the war in Ukraine and the coverage of that um has or will have an impact on trust of kind of mainstream journalism because I'd seen a lot of people commenting on how well organizations like the BBC had been covering it and like this is why we need them you know this they've done an amazing job um kind of when you see journalists putting themselves in harm's way trying to show the reality of something does that change that dynamic on trust and people thinking oh well I need to go back to this trusted legacy news source because I need to they're obviously doing it the right way yeah I mean I think I think when there are really big events like this people do naturally naturally kind of cling maybe to more traditional forms of media you know that's that's where you go for information um and particularly when you know covering something like Ukraine is something which cannot be done by a blogger in the same way that the BBC with all its resources can um so that really helps and I think you know there's a kind of natural tendency to go there I also you know from a personal point of view you know a lot there's a lot to admire about BBC's coverage and lots of other journalists there as well I think you know there's a lot of very brave journalists you know risking themselves and in difficult situations in order to kind of get you know footage home and so on um I think more widely though the, the challenge will be that the war in Ukraine is also you know a really very much a kind of misinformation war there's a lot of apprehension around you know Russian disinformation for instance which we've seen you know with previous kind of incidents um there's also I think no question that the Ukrainians see you know the information battle as a kind of front in the war you know for public opinion for external public opinion and so on so there's a lot you know there's a lot of very brave journalists doing journalism a lot of credit and trying to get information home I think but there's also an awful lot of misinformation on all sides floating around um and it's difficult because you know we are rightly critical of maybe the information that Russians get shown on their TV um but Britain and the UK and so on is kind of on one side in this argument and that that I think creates all kinds of challenges around information as well so I think the BBC has done a brilliant job and yes that's a real boon for, for journalism but there's a lot of challenges for it and we probably don't yet fully know what all those challenges will be yeah yeah and it's it's like like you say there's so much disinformation around and it's I guess sometimes it can feel like you're fighting a losing battle um with that but you know we, we just have to uh have to keep going and doing the best that we can I think I think that's a, a really good place to wrap up actually so um thanks so much for that and just before we kind of finish Steve if you could give kind of one top bit of advice um from the conversation today what what would that be uh, yes yeah, so this is actually more a tip that I'd learned rather than a tip that I would give but um I thought the information Jennifer was talking about in particular about sort of you know your online profile and claiming claiming your your place online is a really good one um, it applies, I guess, to staff journalists, you know, my situation as well as freelance journalists. And in particular, I did not know that claiming your muckrack was a thing. So, um, yeah, I will take that away and investigate. 
Fantastic. We all we all like we like it when our guests learn as, along with uh, along with ourselves. That's great. Uh, Jennifer, same question to you. What would be your um, one top tip you take away from today's episode? Yeah, I think just you know explain yourself why you tell the story. Just be accountable, but also be empathetic at the same time. And I think if that's how you present yourself, people will respond to that transparency and just be straightforward basically great well as a way of sharing the freelance love we want to ask you both who is the freelance journalist who has caught your eye recently um maybe someone who's done a really good piece of work or someone you admire so steve who is your freelance recommendation uh, yeah, so I went for Harry Wallop, um, consumer journalist. Uh, he used to be the consumer affairs editor at Daily Telegraph and now does lots of other stuff. I don't I don't really know Harry. I might have interacted with him once or twice, but it was someone whose work I followed very closely at uh, Money Saving Expert. Um, he does really interesting stuff, and I particularly enjoyed his feature a little while ago now on the grocery delivery apps and the kind of the new wave of delivery, getting stuff delivered to your door. It felt sort of very current interesting just something you would want to read about so very kind of accessible way into consumer journalism fantastic great tip there uh jennifer same question to to you who would you uh who would you shout out well going along with the theme of uh, this episode i'm going to say mariana spring the disinformation reporter um for the bbc um purely because she's going to all these rallies and things and obviously because she's so specialist, she's getting such a real, real, like, interesting insight into these people and, like, finding themes between, like, misinformation and all these different things. So I would definitely say follow her, although she's not freelance, but she works for the BBC. Um, but the freelance person I would give a shout out to is uh, Anya Ryan. I used to work with her at the BBC as well. Um, and she's freelance now and she's a culture reporter. And she's doing good things for like the Guardian and like Galder and places like that. I think um, she's not got like a huge, huge profile yet, but I think she definitely will. And I think it's all about giving giving a bit of love to people without them having to be big, big. But I'm sure she will be. Brilliant! Thanks very Absolutely. much. Yeah, that's great. And just to bring this full circle, um, Mariana's um, podcast "War on Truth: uh, Stories from Ukraine." Uh, launched last week so basically talking about kind of misinformation and and uh, uh, truth around the war so yeah that kind of brings us back full circle to what we were talking about so very good shout out there yeah we'll put both of those um, recommendations but links to their profiles um, in our show notes but that's fantastic I think it's time to bring the episode to a close now but that's been really really useful and loads of great tips there from both of you so thank you very much Yes, absolutely. Really good episode. Um, if you want to find out more about us or make more connections uh, with our fellow freelance journalists, come and join Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community where there are now 5,000 members. You can also follow us on Twitter um, at Freelancing4, which is not verified, but you can find us uh, individually and we are now finally verified. I'm at Lily Cantor. 
And I'm at Emma Journo. Um, and also, big thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and our producer, Maddie Drury, who helps us put this episode together. And we'll be back again next week, but goodbye for now. Bye.